this morning we will be in Second Thessalonians. Uh, we've been doing a sermon series, Grace and Truth, uh, through each book of the New Testament, the first uh, chapter one week and the, second, the last chapter of the following week for most books. Today, Second um, Thessalonians is only three chapters, and so we're going to do the whole book today, except for I'm just going to do the first chapter and the last chapter, and I'm going to try to uh, not take too long in doing that. So, uh, But uh, some of the shorter books we'll just cover in, in one week, and it's been, been a thrill to, to go through this and get a survey of the New Testament. Again, hoping that you will find it encouraging to go back through the week um, and read through the, the parts that we're not dealing with. Um, it is fortunate I felt, found that um, skipping chapter two this week, some commentators said it's one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament. So I was uh, glad to not try to tackle that in a very short period of time. It's something to be worth uh, digesting a little bit. Uh, but before we get into uh, the, we're gonna read the first and the last chapter today, but before we do that, let's go to prayer. Father God, we are so thankful to be here gathered in this place um, as a community of faith. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through your son. And we thank you for the gospel that calls us into a right and relationship with you. We thank you for the peace that Christ gives us, the hope that he gives us um, in this life as well as we prepare for the next. I pray, Lord, as we open this book in Second Thessalonians, Lord, that your spirit will be present here, that you would uh, uh, just give me clarity of mind and thought, Lord, that your word would be proclaimed and our hearts would be stirred for obedience to you and faithfulness in our daily lives. And I commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning of verse 1 of chapter uh, of Second Thessalonians. I, uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to chapter three. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 
and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we, may, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And that will conclude our reading. I love reading Paul, but Paul puts so much in such a, a small, um, small chapter, small verses. Like the, I mean, one verses three to ten is like one long run-on sentence where he's really excited about what he's saying. It's hard to unpack all that, but he's continuing on the same themes that he wrote in First Corinthians. And Peter took us through First Thessalonians. I'm sorry, I said First. Corinthians. I meant First Thessalonians. He took us through First Thessalonians one and chapter five in the last couple of weeks, and introduced us in Acts seventeen to the the beginning of the church in Thessalonica, how it had began in adversity. Uh, as the gospel was preached, already right away the church came under persecution, but the gospel flourished, and they believed. Uh, with a growing faith and the gospel spread and the church is planted and it is um, through that sincerity of faith and joy that they had in the gospel that they became very dear to Paul uh, and Timothy and uh, Silvanus as they traveled that it is when you find this sweet unique faith in people that is enduring and strong it's something that's just like wow um, it's a very precious thing and a joyful thing to encounter people of faith like that uh, but he's what he addressed in the first book he's now um, coming back along and re-emphasizing certain points because in chapter 2 we find out that somebody wrote a letter to them claiming to be from Paul and saying that the day of the Lord had already happened and, uh, and so some people started believing this uh, that it, that was true and they started changing their lifestyle and their habits based on this false testimony and Paul was going to, wants to say to them hey I did not write that book that's not consistent with what I've written before and uh and calling them back to a faithful obedience and so in that he's he's dealing with the day of the Lord or future things end time stuff and it is a fascinating study to go through and uh, so I want to put a little disclaimer. We're not going to go through the, the details of some of those things or, or any particular perspective of that. Um, those are great conversations or Bible studies to do. Um, but today we want to kind of make sure we get the main emphasis of what the second coming of the Lord means for us today as in our lives and how we can live that out 
Um, but oftentimes, even today, you know, in the last, I mean, if, even with just a quick survey of the last hundred years of different people claiming to know the day and the time that the Lord's going to return, and how many times those books have gone on the shelves, they sold a bunch of people changed their, their lifestyle based on this book and then it didn't happen. And now nobody reads those books anymore. Nobody considers those people credible. Um, and for some reason, when the Bible says no one knows a day or time, and even the Son of Man says, I don't know the day and time, that's reserved for the Father. For some reason, some people like to say, but I know, <laughs> I'm special, I got this. And then they begin to tell us certain events are gonna take place and we get caught up to it. And I can remember having gone through many different studies on this, getting caught up into some of the thinking, and it's a really bad way of thinking about end time stuff where, oh, Jesus is gonna return really quick, so I'm gonna do stupid things. Doesn't make much sense, but like, let's go ahead and charge up the credit card, because I'm not gonna be around to pay it anyways, or let's sell the house, or let's do this, and do all these things, uh, and we get lost in all these details of people speculating and, uh, and that's not what it's intended to do. The, when, when God gave us books like First and Second Thessalonians and Revelation and other passages, he's not giving it to us to look at how to escape daily faithfulness in this world. He's not telling us to um, just look and focus on, on heaven. He's talking a, a, an encouragement and a hope that we can have right now that will affect our life and ground us to endure a difficult life that we have here that he hasn't forgotten us, that he's coming for us, and that we have a hope. Um, and so that's some things we're gonna talk briefly about those parts, because um, though it is fun and engaging to have those discussions, uh, we always have to, I've learned more and more, to approach our view of end times with a deep humility, saying that there is something about future things that we just won't understand completely until they happen. You know, So we can, we can talk about it, but it's all speculation about that until that happens. But in that day, when it is happening, we're gonna read it and be like, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> so it's gonna make clear sense then, and that's been shaping my view of how I approach my end times look, but I want to say as we look that there's something that all believers agree upon is that Jesus is gonna come back personally to take his people to be with him and to set all things right. And so let's uh, begin to look a little bit as the, the future hope that we have in Christ's coming should be changing the way we look at this life. And so the, I want to start with in verses three and four, the, the purpose of suffering is to produce a growing faith. And, and undergirding these points is that a, a, a hope in the second coming, a hope in Christ that our risen Lord is also the one who's returning for us. And so um, his past completed work and, and then the look to his future work in us gives us strength for today. And so it says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you endure. So again, like I said, the founding of the church immediately started with Jason's house and others. They were persecuted right away and, and growing. And that didn't stop the gospel. That just caused the, the gospel to grow exceedingly. <clears throat> and as I was reading, I was thinking about this, a growing faith, like sometimes we, we want to say, God, give me more faith. Um, and we have a perspective of faith as like a 
uh, a blind leap of faith. Um, and, uh, and that's not the kind of faith that the Christian belief is. The, the New Testament doesn't teach us a blind faith. It teaches us an evidentiary faith, a faith that we have reasons to believe in. And, uh, and the growing faith is not about how much faith you have, but in the perspective you have in the object of your faith. So the goal of faith is not for me to be just a, like I have just a ton of faith and trust. It is for me to see my God as big enough and great enough that I can continue to trust him more and more. And really, a little bit of faith in a big object is better than a lot of faith in a, in a weak object. All right, so um, in thinking through this, I think of a time in my life of, where I went to uh, Bible Institute at Word of Life Bible Institute in New York uh, during the winter, got to a couple weeks of negative uh, 20 degrees was the average temperature for two weeks during the day, and uh, really cold. Um, but it froze the Nine Mile Lake and with, uh, within two weeks, just, just completely solid lake. And I remember um, wanting to walk out on the lake because, uh, I mean, it's frozen ice, and who doesn't want to explore ice a little bit, especially uh, my late teens, early 20s. And so as I'm walking on it, you know, you hear the creaking, the cracking, like as you start going, I'm like, oh. And I'm, I'm, I'm still by the shore, and I'm like trying to walk in like this, but the thing about Scroon Lake is it has a current running right down the center of the lake, and it doesn't freeze. And, and so it looks like a river right down the center of the lake. And we're like wanting to go out there, and even though I could see other people were standing out there ice fishing and stuff, I'm still just kind of walking, uh-oh, uh-oh, like a... I think this is going to hold me. I have a little bit of faith. What I didn't realize is that ice was three feet deep. And when we got all the way out to the edge of the, the river, it's like looking here. It's, like, it's basically from the top of the stage to the bottom of the stage. That's how deep the ice is. And I stood like right on the current. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, I can jump on this. It's nothing going to go anywhere. This is solid ice. This is, and, um, and my little bit of faith uh, got me out there but I was more secure than I realized. And here's the truth is that you're more secure than you realize when you have faith in God, when you have faith in Christ. And as you grow in your knowledge and love for him, the more you're gonna see and depend on him. And I can find marks in my life where different things I would hold back from God. I'm like, I don't know. But the more I got to know him, I'm like, oh, you know, I can trust him with this, and I can trust him with that, and I can trust him with that. And, you know, I'm still a work in process of learning to trust God more and more. But it's not because I have a huge faith. It's because I have a huge God. And the more he reveals to me, the more I grow in that. And so suffering and persecution and afflictions in this life bring us to a point to see that we should trust God more. Like oftentimes when people go through hard times, they get mad at God and turn their back on God and they're missing out on the very one person who can give them meaning and purpose in the midst of trials. It's not an easy thing. And having gone through different things in my life, I know how easy it is to, uh, to wanna blame God or to get mad at him and how to, how to come back to that. So, but we have to move from the why questions to the what and the who questions. What is God doing? Who is God in this moment? And what are the promises that he's given me? He may not give you a why this event happened in your life or, or why this person became such a disappointment or why did I lose my job or why is my body not cooperating with me? Like all these things are questions that we have and we may not get the why answers in this life. 
but what does God want me to do? What is God trying to teach me? And again, different times in my life, I've had struggles. So one time I, uh, as a junior in high school, I went, uh, between my junior and senior year, I went to the Dominican Republic with my school, CVCA, and it was uh, like a 10-day trip. And I'm like, awesome, I'm gonna go serve God, get to help build an orphanage. And so I'm gonna go down there, and I get down there on day two, I get sick. And for seven of the 10 days there, I had uh, a fever and, and other things that aren't are proper to mention in, this, in the sermon. So like, it was just miserable, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, why God? I'm here to serve you, why are you inflicting me? And I'm just, and then I, I was like, in one of my times where it wasn't too feverish, I opened my Bible to James, and he said, consider it all pure joy when you fall into various trials, that God is working patience and perseverance through them, and I had to, had to step back and repent of my, my anger and frustration. Um, but instead, uh, in a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about in chapter three, he, he wants us in our affliction, in our persecutions, in our sufferings, to look to Christ. And in chapter three, verse five, it says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I think this is a great formula for us to consider in our lives every day, but especially as we're going through difficult times, is that the love of the God, the love of the Father, how has he displayed that already in history, in our own lives, and, uh, and the testimony for us, and we know in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrated his love towards us in this, while we were still sinning or rebelling against him, Christ died for us. Like, he loved us so much that he provided a way for our forgiveness, for our justification, for our adoption, for our uh, future hope and, uh, and care. And, uh, and then look at the steadfastness of Christ. Look at his life, read the gospel, see the persecution, see the trial, see the suffering that Christ endured for us as an example of what he did. And so in Hebrews, the writer author says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the author of Hebrews is like, look how much Jesus endured. Look at his steadfastness, his faithfulness, and be inspired to follow along, that he did for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, yet, and so that should be our motivation and our hope to, to keep pursuing. Because sometimes God doesn't always, again, answer the prayers, though we can have the conversation that God could. Uh, definitely there's been times I thought about, you know, whether I wasn't feeling well um, or something like, oh, God, you could heal me like that. Why don't you just heal me? You know, there's just God, with a snap of your fingers, you could do whatever. Why don't you? And God has a purpose and a plan beyond some of the things that we could understand at this point in our lives. And even Paul prayed three times in 2 Corinthians 12 to be healed. And God said this, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul began to reframe the way he would think about this present life and his current circumstance. 
we tend to start with our current circumstance, our experiences, and then begin to redefine our view of God based on that. Instead of going to God's word through prayer and the Holy Spirit to look at our reality through what God has revealed to us in his word, that our circumstances are temporal, they're fleeting, they're changing constantly. Even our life, is, as James says, is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. That we're here for a short time, and though it feels so immense and so hard and, and long right now, we have to like back out in the grand scheme of things. How, how big is this? How big is our God in the midst of this? And for me, I'm, uh, I've been geeking out a little bit on the James Webb telescope going out um, the last couple weeks and, uh, and taking pictures of the universe in space and, uh, and just seeing the galaxies and how vast the universe is. And, uh, and I look at that and I'm just overwhelmed with how big our God is and how great he is in, the, in that universe. And then what is man that God is mindful of? So this little blue dot, this little blue planet uh, that God has created and given us life and breath. And then not only that, but he entered into our space he took on human flesh. He endured suffering and trials for us. He endured the cross um, and shed his blood for our sins to be buried and rise again, you know, conquering sin and death and inviting us in this relationship with him. We are so undeserving and we are so small. And yet in my affliction and my pain, I want to throw all that out. And I just want to say, why are you doing this to me? And, uh, and I do that, I'll be honest, I, I, and I have to repent of those things and, and ask God to give me a bigger view of who he is. Because this is true, that the more we see who he is, the more we love him, the more his grace works out in us, his faithfulness works out in us, his joy works out in us, his perseverance works out in us. My focus needs to be, who is God to me? How, do I, how can I love him more? How can I see how glorious he is? All right, so I spent a lot of time on the first point. Second point, the second coming of Christ is the believer's hope and the unbeliever's warning. We'll just jump to verse six. It says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Big truth is, believer, you're not forgotten. What evil has happened to you, God will repay. That he won't allow anything to go unpunished because he is just now, he doesn't, he doesn't work on our timetable the way we may want, but he has a plan that he's working, and he says he will hold everything into account because he is just. And in Romans, Paul put it this way, that, um, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That in Christ, in the suffering of Christ, God poured out his wrath in, on Christ on the cross for us, and so that anyone who comes to faith in God Jesus paid that wrath. Jesus took that wrath. And so God is just because he's not letting sin go unpunished. He punished sin on the cross. And then those who place their faith and trust in Christ will be um, justified and, and forgiven and adopted into his, uh, his, home, his family. And so he, he says, if you're afflicted, that he's going to grant relief, that rest is coming, Relief is coming, joy is coming, that it is going to be over at some point, that this too shall pass, the struggles that are in this life will pass, he will make all things right. And so it is something that as I face a tough 
trial, that I can look to the future knowing that he's going to reward and redeem this situation. But it's also a warning to those who don't have faith in Christ. It says here that he is inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. Uh, and, And here we can go back to Romans 1 and see those who have seen the testimony of God in nature and suppress the truth of God. This is the category of people. Those who do not know God are those who suppress the truth of who God is. But then there's a second category, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These are the people who know about who God is. They know about who Jesus is. They may sit in our church pews and and convince themselves that they're believers or or try to earn their faith um, through doing religious things, but they've never surrendered their life to Christ. They've never uh, relinquished the throne of their life to God they don't trust Jesus and these are the ones who will suffer punishment of eternal destruction and here's a heavy topic and there's a lot in here um, but Paul is telling us that there is a real situation that we're born into we're born as sinners separated from God and we are deserving of eternal punishment for our infraction against him for the Bible says if we've trespassed the law on one point we trespassed the whole law and we're deserving of punishment and, and it is a warning that what happens in this life matters. The choices we make uh, with, about who Christ is and do will we follow him matters uh, for eternity. And so as believers, this should give us motivation to reach our neighbors, to reach our family members, to reach our coworkers, to go around the globe and share the gospel with others because it matters for eternity. And so our discomfort in this life if we walk through it in such a way uh, with patience and perseverance and steadfastness and faith in Jesus Christ may cause someone to say, I want what you have. I want to follow this Christ. And if one person's life is changed because of your faithfulness, it was all worth it, right? If one soul is saved for eternity because you endured affliction with confidence in Christ and his coming, and somebody says, I want that, I mean, that makes a difference for all of eternity. And so how do we get to that place? And so we, we look to, to the coming of Christ. Paul then says, to pray, the prayers of the faithful advance the gospel, that, that because of this, we need to, in chapter one, that pray for them that the word of the Lord will go forth and uh, speed ahead and that the gospel will go forward, but also with the specific, um, specific nature of obedience to the gospel, obedience and faithful following to him. And so in that prayer, he gives us a phrase again that I find so important for us. In chapter three, verse three says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. What a promise for us to have that our faithful God, and again, if we need to be reminded of his faithfulness to go through the scriptures, to see his great love for us and see the things that he was willing to do for us, and then walk through your own life and say, how has God proved himself faithful time and time again? He's the one who will then establish you and guard you against the evil one. This is a step of faith, though, to trust that when you encounter affliction or persecution or suffering, that you say, God, I need you to establish me. You say you're going to establish me. I don't feel very established right now. Sometimes our mind wanders, sometimes our anxiety soars, sometimes our depression takes over, and in those moments we have to say, God, you say you're gonna establish me. Jesus was faithful for me when I'm unfaithful. Help me trust you now in this moment and, um, and be that for me because this is your promise to us. 
And the people there in the Thessalonians were living it out, and Paul had confidence that they would continue to do that. Um, But again, the continual prayer that as as we pray and we come together and pray and we pray for the gospel to go on and as we're coming towards reach and we're praying for our three mission fields and, uh, and for the work that's going on there, the gospel is advancing there because of the work that we are involved in. And so the prayer, our prayers can help advance the gospel. And then lastly, we just want to spend a few moments on the goodness of faithful work. In verses 10 through 15, he, he warns against idleness and he gave a, uh, and it's the, he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so one of the things that, one of the interpretations of what's happening here is because of certain views of the end time study and the, and the day of the Lord teaching that certain people quit their jobs and just was like, oh, I'm gonna wait. Jesus is coming back, so I don't really need to work. I don't need to really do anything. And they, then in their idleness, they didn't have things to take care of their, their time and they began to get involved in things that they shouldn't and became problematic to the church and to other people and to the community. And here are people who then are claiming to be Christians and in the community they're busybodies and they're just annoying everybody and it gives Christ a bad name, it gives the church a bad name. And, and Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. That's not what it's supposed to be about. Um, it is supposed to be, again, the, the proper understanding of the gospel and the day of the Lord is that we would have a faithfulness in our everyday life, in our everyday work that we don't throw out all of what the Bible says about everything else just to hold to the, like, he's, he's gonna come back and I'm just gonna sit here and wait for him to come back. That's not, that's not following what Christ wants because idleness leads to a lot of temptation, a lot of sin. Uh, my uh, trip to, to Kenya was almost canceled years ago because uh, there was a massacre that happened right where we were going in the slums. And what it was was uh, a bunch of people were not working these and uh, being idle and in their idleness they began to talk about different things and they're they're this is exactly what they talked about started talking about the differences in the different tribes and then they started talking about how disgusting it is that one tribe would intermarry with another tribe and have kids with them and so they began just going back and forth and talking about all this and then a mob began to come together and they started massacring people who had uh, intermarried with other tribes and, uh, and this, it just devastated a whole area of the slums. And, uh, but I found it interesting that they drew it back to there's these idle people, not working, not doing what they should do. And in their idleness, they became busybodies about other things. And though we might not see that happen here, was the, the old saying is that uh, idle hands are the devil's playground. Uh, and when some Christians stop working and, and being involved in their communities and, and doing life, they begin to start talking about different doctrines and theories and stuff like that, and then oftentimes can create just a, a mess. And so we have to be careful not to be busybodies. Instead, we need to see the goodness of work. Verse 13 says, do not grow weary in doing good. See, God created work as part of the creation order as a good thing. And... Uh, <clears throat> Genesis 2.15 says, the, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there's evening and morning and the sixth day. So in the creation of man, God gave him responsibilities. He put him in a garden. He said, work it. And he said, this is very good. Work is good. And so we have to have a robust theology of our work and our uh, vocation and that we get to do things 
for God. And everything that we do is important. All the different vocations that we involve ourselves in are important and bring glory to God, that we can, um, through our work, help others flourish and help them grow and, uh, and minister to them. And in wherever we're at, we have the opportunity to be faithful to God in our daily work, in our homes, in our, the things that we're, we're responsible for, that we find ourselves faithful. And in doing so, we want, we want to then be a, a testimony to those around us. So when we think about the, the future coming of Christ, it should give us the motivation to endure trials and to be faithful in our daily life and everything that we do. And sometimes the, biggest, the best things we can do is to go through our day, like the mundane, everyday routines, just in faith, faithfulness to God, that he is here, he is present, and he is uh, empowering me to be faithful right here, right now. We can oftentimes think, well, in order to serve God, I need to go do this or go do that or go here or there and, and not realize that it's the everyday things that we do that each one of us can do for the glory of God and for the goodness of the gospel and those around us because we never know when a neighbor might stop by and have a conversation. We never know when a coworker might say, just bring up a, a, a conversation and are we ready to say, you know what? Let me share you with a, a little bit about my God. But one, it's not just that you know the message, but are you living a life that they would actually receive that message from? And so I remember... Uh, <clears throat> selling Kirby vacuum cleaners for two weeks. But uh, I was on a bus with a guy late at night. My uh, bus, my van driver was driving back and he was just telling me about how for like several nights in a row he kept waking up dreaming about dying and he was freaked out about dying. And he said, aren't you afraid of dying? And I was actually like, no, I'm not. He's like, why not? And I was like, well, and I had an opportunity to tell him about Jesus because I have a risen Savior who has promised to return for me. And so I know that if I die today, I'm with Christ. And if not, I live for Christ. And I had an opportunity to share with him. And it was just uh, one of those moments that I didn't know in packing up a, a silly vacuum cleaner that I was going to have an opportunity to share the gospel that day. But each and every day for the two, the two weeks leading up to that, I had to be faithful in it. And one of those things meant that I had to not buy into the lie that I had to lie to sell a machine. Um, and so these guys heard me tell my manager, no, I won't say that. No, I can't say that. No, I'm not going to do that. Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. This is the machine. Do you want it or not? Like, I'm not going to try to lie so someone would pay for a very expensive thing, which is ultimately why I decided to quit the job, because <laughs> um, I, I wanted to keep my integrity intact and not sell vacuum cleaners, but, which are important. Um, but uh, So all this to say is that our faith in Christ, that one, he is the risen Lord, that he has conquered sin and death and invited us into a relationship, is also the, the faith that we have that he is going to return for us, and in doing so gives us the confidence the steadfastness, the perseverance through our daily lives, whether those are through persecutions, afflictions, and sufferings, or is it just doing the, the ordinary day, daily life that we live with a, with a view of eternity and a, a spring in our step because God is coming back. He hasn't forgotten me. He won't leave me in this. He's coming for me. And if, he, and if it's not in this life, it is in the next, and he will set all things right, and I can trust him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and the encouragement we have from uh, Paul and Second Thessalonians. Lord, we do confess that, um, <clears throat> that life is hard and at times it's easy to get distracted 
through pain and suffering and struggles. And, uh, and Lord, in, in those moments, help us to remember that you were faithful to us, that your son endured for us. When we were unfaithful, he's faithful still. Lord, and that when we turn to you, Lord, that you, you forgive us, you save us, you prosper us, Lord, you keep us, and, uh, and that we can hold fast to you. Lord, I pray for each one here today listening to this, Lord, that whether they're going through a difficult time in their life, uh, a suffering or affliction of some sort or persecution for their faith, Lord, that you would encourage them, that they would know that you are with them, that you haven't forgotten them, that you will uh, uh, restore all things and, and, and will be their victor, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to live out each day. Lord, today, if anyone's here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would see the importance of, of knowing Jesus Christ, to have, even if it's a little bit of faith in Jesus, that it is a powerful thing because you are an amazing God who has provided a way. And so, uh, Lord, as we, we lift our voices now in, in, in song, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the importance to stand firm in our faith and to declare it out in each and every day. In Jesus' name.